Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. For parents, have you ever thought about how your child has made you refocus your own life? For Dr. Paula Ruffin, an unexpected pregnancy forced her to reevaluate her own life, which brought her to the brink of bankruptcy as a single mom and business owner. While not seeking any empathy for being a single mom and entrepreneur, there is a difficult balance that to be struck that all working parents tend to face. In our conversation, Paula and I talk about balance coming from our ability to make decisions, good or bad, and the ability to be able to switch our focus from one person or activity to another as seamlessly as we can. While convenience may be all around us, Paula talks about how her mother helped lead her into the healthcare field because of inconveniences growing up. Paula talks about her strong sense of community and wanting to grow the area where she lives and works by partnering with other businesses that want to support one another. As Paula puts it, you need to like the people you're around to be effective. Please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Paula Ruffin. So I think the the natural point of starting our conversation, Paula, is to talk a little bit about your background. And I know you from our Club MCC networking uh, group, and I know that you're a chiropractor, but our audience probably doesn't know that. So talk to us about your um, chiropractic business. And really, I'm more interested, and I don't know this about you, is how you got into the world of chiropractic. Well, uh, thank you for having me on, Paul. This is, you know, as we know, we've jumped through many hoops to try to get us here and connect. So I'm really happy and uh, to be here, and I'm happy to be talking to your audience, so I sure appreciate this. Um, so I've been in practice, I just celebrated my 23rd year in private practice in April, and I forgot my own anniversary, so I have that going for me. Um, so, so you, there was no celebration. There was no 20 year, 23 year well, celebration. And you know, I've been here in New Hudson for 20 years and I wanted to have, um, I, I actually am still going to do a big 20 year celebration, but with, um, with all the restrictions that were, you know, when I was looking at the timeline of, of actually having a celebration, I was like, there's too many restrictions and I don't, I want this to be a celebration. I didn't want to play by the rules. So, um, so now things are getting listed. I'm going to pick a day. And we're going to have a major celebration. So I'll let you know when that, when that happens. So, awesome. Um, yeah. So I've been here 20 years. I, you know, the, the quick backstory is I've been in health and wellness for as long as I can remember. And when I think back to my high school days, so I, you know, I was always an athlete. In high school, I was always walking around with a big glass of water. Um, you know, I was always interested in food and nutrition and healthy eating. I mean, granted, I had my junk food time, but prior to that, I, I really credit my mom for my past 
that I took. Because when I was little, when I was probably seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in there, my, my older brother, he's three years older than me, and he was diagnosed at that time as hyperactive. You know, now we have all kinds of different labels. And my mom put him on Ritalin for a day. And she said it changed him so much. It made him a completely different human being. And she did not like how, what that did to her kid. So she, she put him into hockey. And then she started reading and she, um, she took out all the sugar cereals. I mean, I, I was like, no more Captain Crunch, really? <laughs> <laughs> we had no more Captain Crunch or King Vitamin. That was another one of my favorites. I love that one. Um, so she took out all of the sugar cereals and no refined foods, no junk. She literally cleaned out the house. And I, I really credit her for that because as a single mom in the seventies, raising four kids, my, my two older siblings were almost gone and out of the house. So it was really most of the impact for my brother and me. And, uh, but you know, that couldn't have been easy and convenience at that time. The lesson that it taught me was that convenience wasn't an option. My oldest brother worked at McDonald's and she would not allow him to bring food home. So I look at today's day and age where we have conveniences all around us and we have made this our norm. So, um, so to me, this is a big reason why 50%, one of every two children suffer from some kind of chronic disease. What 50%, one of two of our kids right now suffers from some kind of, some kind of chronic disease, one in eight suffer from some kind of depression or anxiety. And a lot of this is food and lifestyle related. So, you know, going back to so my mom changes us, you know, um, gets my brother, gets myself on this new eating habit. So she was, you know, the self-proclaimed health nut of the 70s when that was, you know, that was, was a big say, She must have been but, well ahead of her curve. I mean, yeah. I try to, I, I, I'm just trying to picture myself trying to take away all that stuff stuff that we have in our house right now for my four kids and there would be bedlam. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and she used to keep a bag of miniature Snickers in the freezer or Milky Way, one of the two. And those were hers and you did not dare <laughs> touch them. And it could take her months to go through the bag, but when she wanted one, she wanted them to be there. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, which, which then you look at that whole concept of moderation. And so that's what that taught me was you don't just blow through a whole bag of Snickers, you know, you, you ration it out and, you know, take your time. So, so I took all of those lessons and, and I took that through high school with me. I got to college and I started studying exercise physiology. I ended up working in the University of Michigan obesity clinic, helping people with weight loss and nutrition and exercise programs and doing body composition testing. And that was super cool. I loved that. And then I ended up doing my internship at um, Domino's Farm, and they have a wellness center, their corporate headquarters in Ann Arbor. So I, I worked at Domino's Farms for a couple of years doing, I think like one year doing an internship, and then they hired me part-time, and I continued through school, and I loved working there. I did corporate uh, incentive programs, I, you know, um, um, competitions among the employees, and getting people to move more. And I wrote for the newsletter and uh, it, it, on the Mac, you know, we had the, the old box Mac computer, you know, uh, so I created the newsletters on there. And, and that just, that, so everything that I've done has been this really cool building one, one step upon the next. And then 
I got out and uh, couldn't find a job anywhere to save my life. So, I mean, I was, I was like hot on corporate wellness. I wanted to, you know, went up and down the West Coast, Levi Strauss, Taco Bell, um, Pacific Bell. Like I went to all these big corporate wellness centers and they were like, we love the experience you've already gained. We'd like to start you at $6 an hour. <laughs> and it's like, and that even sounds bad now, 30 years later, oh, right? That sounds horrible. Horrible. <laughs> so I ended up finding a job working in a physical therapy clinic and I worked there for five years. So again, another like big piece of this puzzle that would be my career thinking, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Maybe I'll go back to physical therapy school. So I started going back to school and working full time and I'm, you know, um, you know, just working my way through that. I finally, two years in a row go by, I get denied schooling. I have the most credentials. Turns out like the schools really want you to like be front to back with them, which means you got to spend a lot of money at their schools. Very physical therapy is a very um, uh, competitive and political from my experience program to get into. So there was no other reason that I, that I shouldn't have gotten in to any physical therapy program other than it was not what my destiny was. So, um, we're sitting on the couch at my grandmother's house one summer. I just received my second year of all the rejections again. And my sister says, Hey, well, have you ever thought about chiropractic? And I was like, Thinking at 25 years old, I'm this big loser. I didn't have my life planned out. Like, you know, my gosh, no, I should be like, in, you know, I should be well into my career at 25. And I go, eh, I guess so. So I applied and off to California, I went. And that, and on day one, I was sitting in the chair at orientation and the woman giving orientation, she says, the very first chiropractic adjustment was given on September 18th, 1895. And I went, oh, September 18th, that's my birthday. <laughs> and then, hey, you know, the, the, the universe came together. And so here we are 23 years later and, uh, and it's been amazing. So, so how, how long is chiropractic school? Is it two, three years, three-year program or longer than that? Because I know there's certain specialties even within the field of chiropractic, right? Yeah. It's, it's a four-year program basically crammed into three. Okay. So it's intense. And, we, and it's the quarter system. So I went from being at U of M taking 12 to 14 credits a semester going, well, this is hard, to taking 34 to 36 credits a quarter which is a 10 week. Oh man. I mean, it's intense. And then you get a week break in between each quarter, two weeks in the summer, two weeks at Christmas. And you, so you're grinding the whole time. And, uh, and so it's, it's pretty intense. And now a lot of the schools actually require an undergrad degree where I already had mine when I went. So, um, uh, you know, so that I had that going for me, but a lot of, you know, they've upped that level of, um, of uh, education. I want to, I want to come back to this question about when you were working as an intern and some of these wellness about incentives, because that's, that's a really fascinating topic for me is incentives. But before I come back there, so, so when you, when you graduated from chiropractic school, where did you go from there? Did you go and work in another doc's office or did you just open your own shingle and go uh, from there? 
I was actually interning uh, as a, I was a chiropractic intern for some docs in Fremont, California. And I stayed there for about a year and a half and uh, tried to really get my own practice going, but I was not given the skills to run a business in school yeah. as probably most disciplines are, are, are not right. So um, I moved home and I ended up going to Waterford and uh, this woman, her, Dr. Jackie Vaughn, and I'm still friends with her today. She said, just, I'm going to rent you a, a corner of my office. I'll charge you 700 bucks a month and I'll help you get started. So she was really, you know, she was like, you got to call Blue Cross Medicare. She helped me just really set all of those, those structural pieces into place. And, uh, and then we started both uh, going to business seminars together. And so that was kind of cool. So then, um, and she, at that time was 25 years in practice or 20 years in practice because she's coming up on 40 years in practice now, which is super cool. So I worked with her for a year and a half in her, in her office. And then here in New Hudson, there was a doc. He was 78 years old. A friend of mine stumbled upon him. And, uh, and he said, well, I, I'm thinking of selling my practice. And my friend Gene calls me immediately. And he says, you need to call this guy if you want to get out of Waterford. I, I hated Waterford. I don't, I don't know how far your audience is, but what, you know, people, if you're we familiar. We go nationwide on this podcast, Paula. Okay. We're nationwide. I, I would I say most, <laughs> most of the people are still in Metro Detroit. So for those listening nationwide, Waterford is a suburb of, of Metro, Northwest Metro Detroit. Yes. And it's a, it's a giant sea of people. It's very difficult to connect. And I'm very much a relationship person. And I really love to have connection with people. I was, I was unable in a year and a half to really find that connection. Sorry, Waterford people, if you're listening. It was just my experience. So, so I moved to New Hudson. The community here, what I was like, this is what I'd always been looking for. So, um, so I, I called Dr. Knighton and I said, hey, my friend says you're looking to sell your practice. We had a couple of conversations. He'd been in practice 50 years, so he didn't want to just give it away to anybody, sell it to anybody. And, um, and he liked me, which was great. A big compliment coming from, you know, an old timer, an amazing chiropractor like him. And, and we cut a deal and he sold me his practice four or five months later. So, so then, then I ended up down in here, New Hudson, and I've been here for 20 years. And that's had to be an interesting transition. And again, for our listener, listening audience, New Hudson is a suburb mainly West of, of Detroit, but it, it has, I don't know, what'd you say, Paula, like doubled, tripled in size over the 20 years that you've been there? Because it was a, a really, I, I call it a rural community. Yeah. And in, in most metropolitan areas, especially like ours in Detroit, it, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And, you know, then you have these big suburban, you know, cities or towns on the fringes, like a new Hudson. It's, and when I first came out here 20 years ago, so if you've been out this way, Paul, you know, at 96 and Milford Road, it yep. is built up on all, almost on the three corners, I think. And, uh, and like Walmart and Lowe's and that whole complex, nothing. This was all field 20 years ago. So it has skyrocketed in growth. And I recently, I have been wanting to be on the board of the DDA, the Downtown Development Authority. It's part of the township, but it's a little separate. Um, and, and I've always wanted to be on it, but as, you know, as a, I, I hate to use the word single mom because 
I think that I, I, okay, full disclosure. I feel like people use that term too much to you know, like give me, uh, you know, uh, I want sympathy, right? So I don't, I just say it sort of matter of factly. I was, I was a single mom and I could only be so many places in, at, at once. So um, I was raising my daughter, working my practice. And then about, um, you know, two years ago, I could really start to, to pour back into myself and, and my career and do more, more personal growth things. So being on the DDA was a big um, thing that I've been wanting to do because I love this community and I wanted to be a part of its growth. And so now I'm on the board, I'm on the executive com committee, we're um, hiring in a new executive director, and we are doing things like working on what's called lighting up the brand, where we want to close down Grand River and get all the businesses to light up their buildings and have parades. And, and so, so to be in that kind of community, that was really where I always saw myself. And then being like into the fabric of the community was that, that's my happy place. So, um, so that's, that's where I ended up. So to come back, I want to come back to your, it sounds like when you were an undergrad doing these internships, you, that's where we really sparked an interest in, in um, health, you know, health, health and wellness. And you mentioned that you worked um, with obese, obese and weight loss um, clinics, things like that. And then also in some of your other wellness um, experience after, after, under, un, after undergrad. Talk to us about what you learned about incentives there and how to, I don't want to use the, I'll use the word motivate, but that's not the word I'm looking for because motivation, as you all know, will only get you so far. So what did you learn about tried and true practices and processes about, you know, being able to put in front of somebody the right incentive to get them active? That's a great question. And one of my favorite sayings is, and I don't know, I'm just going to quote it myself because I've, I've never heard anybody else say it. But me is that um, you can't care more than someone else. So there's all, so we can lay out incentives in front of people and in really different incentives will inspire different people. So it's, so you, you, when you're trying to incentivize somebody, inspire them, they may need to hear something. It could be the same thing, but if they hear it three in three different ways, hear that message in different ways, they may connect to it the third or the fourth time or, or, you know, if, if I say it three times and then you go, you know, Dr. Ruffin said X, Y, Z, they may go, Oh, that's so cool. They may not connect with it until you actually come back and say it. So, so from an incentive perspective, you know, there's things like, Oh, we could do, we do points programs or, you know, we do body composition in our office here. So we can talk about uh, it's not just weight loss or pounds on the scale. We can talk about percentages of um, uh, fat percent, you know, losing percentages of fat, or we can do things like you're, you've got 10 extra pounds of inflammation on you. Let's see if we can't get three pounds off this week. So, so you have to come at it, like find what their thing is that's going to matter to them. Like I have a patient this morning and she's like, my hands are so swollen and I can't get my wedding ring on. And my husband says, don't resize it because then when we figure this out, I'm going to have to have it resized again. And 
So her thing is getting the fluid off, getting the inflammation down. Um, so from an incentive perspective, it's, it's variable, but in the grand scheme of things, it's just finding the, the, the things that matter to those people and then running with that. So how do you, when people show up at your, your office, do, do they typically have some kind of, obviously they have a problem they're trying to figure out, but is it, is it more health and wellness related versus for lack of a better term, my back hurts and I need an adjustment? Um, it's, it's actually a little bit of both. It's, it's in fact, a lot of times it's people come in cause they're like, my neck hurts, my back hurts. And then when they get here and I do my evaluation on them and I find out, uh, okay, they have a bowel movement once a week. We have to fix that. There's, you know, or they have some kind of digestive issues or they have migraine headaches. So they come in with one thing usually. And then I start to peel back the layers and they're, uh, they're like, oh, I had no idea you could even help that. And then, then I got it, right? Then I, I've got them to know and understand that they are in the right place and that no one's been able to address these things for them because they, nobody else really knows how to manage or uncover the root cause of what they've been experiencing. They've been told their whole lives they're crazy or nothing's wrong with them. And they're like, yeah, but I still feel like garbage every day. What do I do? So, um, so that, to make a long answer, yeah, they'll usually come in with pain and then, and then they end up, you know, coming up with, a, you know, I end up coming up with the program for them that combines some kind of nutrition and um, corrective pain relief. So one of the, one of the things I'm really interested about is, as you kind of laid out your background, and this has been a theme of the podcast since we, since I started back in October of, of 2020 is life transitions. And I know you, you brought this up and this is a point a topic I want to get on is being not only a single mom, but a single mom business owner. And so walk us through some of those life transitions that, that you've been through and had to overcome because I, the feedback that I get from our audience is that that's, those are the stories that people are really interested in. And a lot of times you're just talking about motivation and inspiration. I've, I've had people reach back out and say, man, that episode with, you know, Scott Capeller on losing his job while raising his three daughters was amazing. And that's like exactly what I needed to hear. It's, um, it, we have to remember we're not alone, but when we're in it, it's easy to feel like we're alone. So, um, so I, I hope that what I'll tell you, you know, will inspire a few people. And I know that you as you know, with your financial background, you will actually, you know, understand this a hundred percent. But I was three years in practice here in New Hudson, maybe four, yeah, three. And I was, I was cruising along. Practice was booming. Life was great. I was doing all the things, you know, promotions in the community, just well-known everywhere I went. And 37 years old, unexpected pregnancy. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, with that being said, it's, you know, it was just me. It wasn't, it was a very short lived um, relationship and he chose to go off and do something else. And that's totally fine. Um, And I, it wasn't, 
anything I had to resolve to. Like, it wasn't like, ooh, he left us. I was like, thank the freaking Lord, because he was a pain in my ass. Like, you know, and so, so it allowed me to focus. And, you know, he wanted me to, um, you know, abort the pregnancy. And I chose not to. And that upset him. And that, that's when he went off. So, um, so here we are. And then as a, as a woman, you own your own business. I did not have a plan for um, financial ruin. <laughs> I, and, I, and I tell people, listen, it's not a matter of if this happens to you. It's a matter of when it happens to you. Something is going to happen that will challenge your ability to pay for your life. And you have got to make sure you have a plan. And I was not, I was like, I, said, I was living high in the hog and um, just, woohoo, you know, new in practice, all this money coming into my life. And, and it came to a screeching halt because when you are a woman and you have to take time off of your business and again, you don't have the plan and there's no other person there to supply that income. It was, it was frightening. I thought I was going to lose my business. I thought I was going to lose my home. I was robbing Peter to pay Paul. I took out a $50,000 home equity line of credit when nobody else would loan me money. Um, my credit union said, yeah, well, you know, we'll open up a $50,000 line of credit. That saved my life. And, but, you know, when you're ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 a month in expenses, it goes very quickly. Right. Yeah. That's like a three month uh, lead. <laughs> exactly. It's like, okay. But it was enough of what I needed to be able to get back in the office. I did have a practice doc who literally did not take care of my practice. I came back after four weeks off um, and there was one person on the, on the book. And I was like, okay, this isn't good. So, so you uh, were only off four weeks for yeah. maternity leave? And I was, you know, I was hurting. It was a rough, um, it was a rough delivery and, but I didn't have a choice. You know, I was like, I had to go back. So I came back two days a week just so that I could get something and start getting the engines going, started calling people to pay them back. Um, and it took about three months to start to get to a place where I could at least cover my monthly expenses. So that was good. It didn't take too long, but it was, it was still rough yeah. because I, I had gotten so far behind financially that I knew I still had all of that to take care of. And, um, and the, the biggest thing that kept me going, and, and I actually just recently created a, a group um, on this, and I'm hashtagging, and it's like a mantra that has been in my life since this time, is it's all going to be okay. Because people are like, well, what did you do? How did you get through it? And I'm like, I prayed. And I just told myself all day long, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. I, I, cu I couldn't like, I couldn't affirm my way out of it. You know, I was big on affirmations, but I, I could not find an affirmation that would allow me to get through it other than just going, it's all going to be okay. And so I created the, it's all going to be okay, the Kensington Huron Valley, because I'm in this community and I'm, sending that message to everybody because everyone's in crisis right now. So I'm using my own experience and that mantra to pull that forward and just say, 
sometimes it's just the little things you keep saying it, you keep stepping forward, you keep, you, you just go one step at a time and you'll get through it. And it, we're now, you know, 16 years later and I still have a little bit of the debt left, but I literally have paid off about $200,000 in debt. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, I look back on it and I think, oh, should I file bankruptcy? I mean, I could have, like, if somebody would have said you should file bankruptcy, I could have easily done that and said, screw it to everybody around me that I owed money to. But, um, but I didn't, I held in there and I fought for it. And I just, I just scraped and clawed until I got to here we are. So I think that's very interesting what you just pointed out where I think when people think about or ask, well, what'd you do? What'd you do? And they're expecting this, you know, silver bullet answer. And there's never a silver bullet answer. Mm-mm. It's, it's just a process. It's just going through and doing the hard work or doing the little things that, you know, add up over time that no one wants to hear about. No one wants to, <laughs> you know, it's the funny phrase is, you know, it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. Right. You know, no one wants to know about the 10 years that you spent working 60, 70 hours a week mm-hmm. trying to build your, your firm or your practice. They just don't, well, what marketing, you know, trick did you do to, you know, bring all these people in or it's something of that nature. And it, it's, it's kind of frustrating that it's still a hard message to resonate with that to resonate with people. Well, from a concrete perspective, the simplest thing I did was I picked up the phone and I called my clients and people want to hear from you. So if telling yourself it's all going to be okay. And then walking in the truth, you know, just saying, okay, I'm going to act as if I'm going to step forward. I know it's all going to be okay. And just believing in that, if that's far too eclectic for somebody and you're in crisis and you need something concrete, call your client, call them. There are people, you know, when people don't come to you, it's not because they hate you. They may have just, life may have gotten in the way. And you know how many people I've called and are like, oh my God, I was just thinking about you. When can I come in? They don't, they're not not coming to you because they hate you. Right. You know? And I've had people who've come to me twice and I was, and I'm like, gee, why did that person leave? And then the next thing you know, they referred three people in. And I'm like, what did I, <laughs> I don't even know what I did for that person, but apparently I did something. So, so call them. And, you know, another thing too is calling people who you haven't seen in a while. And it's not necessarily to say, um, hey, I'm back. Like, I, I mean, I did that because I knew a lot of people didn't want to come into the office until I was back. But you could even pick up the phone for somebody you haven't seen in a while and just say, um, hey, Paul, you know what? It's been a while since I've seen you. I just want to check in, see how you're doing. Listen, I'm trying to, um, I'm just trying to, Gain, get a better gain of um, why people come and go in my practice. And I'd like to know, you know, what made you stop coming? Or what made you stop doing, want to stop doing business with me? And that'll give you some insight. And you could even do the opposite and call your really good clients. Hey, just want to check in, Paul, and I'll just ask you, so what, why do you really come here? What is it that you get out of being here? And make sure you document that because those are things that you're going to be able to utilize in your social media posts in your advertising, your email um, campaigns, you, you want to pull your patients or your clients because 
if, if the majority of those people are telling you similar things, you can use that wording, you can use that structure. Now you can really start targeting for your, for the audience that you want. I think the, the next area I wanted to pivot to, and I, and I know we talked on this and you didn't really want to <laughs> go deep into it, but I, I, I do is, is this your unique situation where you're a single mom entrepreneur I talk a lot about balance and, and I talk to my families about balancing multiple, not only financial priorities, but um, lifestyle priorities. And so this is one thing I think we all struggle with. And again, there's no you know, silver bullet answer because you know, I want, one day your business may be a greater need than, than your family or you know, your spouse or partner may be a have a greater need that day than the business. So it's, I don't know if there's really a sense of, you know, people say, well, I'm just looking for balance. And I don't know if there's ever like, you ever get to this equilibrium of 50, 50 balance. I think it's constantly evolving and changing where one day it's 20, 80, and then the next day it's 80, 20. I'd love to get your thoughts on that given you know, your unique situation where you are a single mom and you are this successful business owner? Um, well, and I think you, I think you nailed it when you said it's not a 50, 50 balance. And, and I think for many years though, we were all uh, duped into thinking that balance somehow was 50, 50, but it depends on what's going on. And, and for me, um, you know, so, and, and again, so now we've just already established that I want no sympathy for saying I'm a single mom. So I have no That's problem. Duly noted, it. duly noted. But I do know people who are like, well, you know, I'm a single mom. And I'm like, hi, cut the shit. Like, get, you know, we, are, we all are, whatever. Like, let's, let's move through it. So, um, so for me, as I was going through that, and again, like I went, you know, business, life, financial, all this, everything went completely south. And I was in the toilet. And, uh, and so I had to spend a certain, I had to spend a lot of time, you know, again, calling those patients, um, uh, you know, and then, but then when I got home, I couldn't, I couldn't work on work anymore. So the foreign piece for me prior to having a child was I could work on my business 24 freaking seven and I loved it. And that is probably a really common thing for, I would say, most entrepreneurs. But then when you have something and, and I mean, you have kids in general, you have a lot of them. So you have to say, okay, I'm going to go home. And when I go home, I'm home and now I'm dad. And I'm 100% dad when I'm there. So, so to me, the, the, the balance is knowing when to turn business on and off and and parenting on and off, you know, like at a certain point when you're, you know, when you leave the house and, and my, you know, my kid will call, you know, and, um, and ask me the stupidest questions because she's a teenager, you know, <laughs> but I always race to the phone and my patients are like, no, I'm very good. But I feel badly when then she's like, Hey, what's the Netflix password? <laughs> so going through that process, though, I had to really be more structured. And I think, Balance comes in the form of making those decisions, not allowing other things to seep in where they shouldn't, 
making, I, I, I had this grandiose idea that I could bring her to work with me. And I realized that was a horrible idea that, that if I wanted to be a great doctor and a great mom, I could not combine the two. So when I was at work, I was, I was there, I was a hundred percent present. I did not screw around. I mean, you find, you start to realize how much time you waste when you don't have time to waste. And so when I, when I would go to the office, I'm like, okay, I had the things I had to get done. And I was like, boom, moving through my day. I left work. I came home. I was mom. Turn around, came back the next day. I was doctor. And so I just made my focus of where I was of that thing. And, uh, and I just didn't allow anything to disrupt it. And then as I got, as I started to move, um, more, you know, so I couldn't, I had to leave the whole being involved in the community, um, doing, uh, you know, I couldn't do chamber things like that was off the table for me. And, and again, as you know, when you have young kids, you, you have to make those decisions and it's not, you know, I, I'm not upset. I had to make those decisions. Those are the decisions, you know, I chose to have a child. I, I had to decide I wanted to be a great mom so that she could be a great human being. In order to do that, I could not filter, I couldn't set her aside for my business. So as she got older, and then about, I think it was 2018, I finally was able to start going back and doing, she was like 14, almost 15. I could start doing seminars. I did a professional speakers training. I took her to a, a business seminar that was uh, all entrepreneurs, women, like self-made people. And she sat there at 14 years old and took notes. She was so connected to it. It was so cool. So now we go to this event every year. And so I feel like I'm now, she's now able to come into the world of being an entrepreneur and no one understand, you know, what I'm going through when I leave the house. I remember now that you bring that up, I remember you talking about that in somewhere, maybe it was one of our club MCC meetings or maybe a conversation you and I were having on the side but I think that's really interesting that that whole dynamic, I am picturing, visioning it in my head right now, that flipping the switch between going from one environment to the other. But I'm sure like, like what we just talked about, that just didn't happen overnight. Like that probably took time and a lot of evolution because I know I'm, you know, 10 and a half years into having these triplets and I'm still trying to do that. And I think it's even maybe a little harder now because of all of us being at home so often, or at least with me, you know, my office is here in my home. And before I was able to get out more to see my families and see my business owners, clients. And, but now it's, it's not, it's all, it's all virtual. So I, and I know this has been a struggle for a lot of parents at home is like making that break and being able to, okay, when I walk out of those two doors over here, like I'm pointing, like you can see them, yeah. <laughs> no one listening to this is going to be able to see it. But when I, when I go through those two doors, like I need that reminder that, okay, I need to shut that off. And sometimes it, it can literally take an hour or two before I, I can get, you know, reacclimated or focused on my kids or what I need to be doing next rather than work or vice versa. Yeah. It's, I think it's a constant, um, it's a constant, um, challenge. I don't want to call it a struggle, but it's a constant challenge. And I think that it's just something that, yeah, we just have to be conscious of it. And, uh, you know, 
picking up your phone when you're around your kids and, or, um, you know, sitting together and having a meal. It's so, how many days I want to come home and I just want to like grab a plate of food and sit in front of the TV and eat and shut down, you know, but I'm so, but I don't, we sit at the table and we have a dinner together. And um, so, so yeah, you just, you have to make those conscious choices. And, uh, and when your teenager wants to talk to you, I'm just going to say you, you do nothing but listen. Yeah. You, you uh, shut that down. Exactly. It's like, yeah. And she wants to, my daughter likes the big chatter event at like 10 o'clock when I'm ready to go to sleep. And I'm like, okay, let's talk. Yeah, it's great. So, so like you say, it's a struggle sometimes. <laughs> so one, of, one of the last things I want to touch on as we kind of come to the close of our conversation is, you know, you and I met and I don't know how many years it's been through a, a networking event. I know networking is near and dear to your heart. So um, we've had Terry Bean on, uh, we've had Brenda Meller on. Um, talk to us about some of the things that you do when it comes to networking and being a, a good networker. Because there's just, there's things about going to a chamber event or a networking group event or whether it's in person or, or virtual now or doing things, you know, in, in social media. But I think there's always a good, good way to go about it. And then there's a not good way to go about it. What are some of the things that you've done that, that works for you and that have been successful from a networking standpoint? This is such a great question. I have to tell you, I've had this exact conversation about six times over the past week and a half with different random people. And Terry Bean was probably one of them. And one of the things that I appreciate about him bringing us into Club MCC is I mentioned earlier, I'm a very relationship person. And I think that everybody that he brings together truly values the relationship. So from a networking perspective, you've got to, to like being around the people that you want to network with. If you don't really like them or you don't trust them, that's not going to work very well for either one of you. So I think just liking those people. And then, and then for me, within my community, I'm doing some unique things here. So um, I realized that I've been here 20 years and there are a lot of businesses that don't know me and I don't know them. And so I started going out into the businesses and I started with the restaurant and I, I will go in and I will say, listen, I want to put $100 on a gift card and then I'm going to do a video and I'm going to promote the video and I'm going to tell people, hey, come on into Novella's Pizza, get $10 off for your order when you tell them Dr. Ruffin sent you. And that has started to create relationships with other businesses and myself. It's getting both of us out into the community from a social media perspective. So, you know, there's this thing about you you think that you can only build rapport in person when you first meet each other, but you need to build rapport out on your social media platform. People have to learn to like you before they even come in and meet you these days. That's just how it happens. So I've been able to go out, open up these tabs, get to know other people in the community. People are now talking about me doing this. So now I'm building this, this um, reputation in, within the community and so from that, that's when I started to create the It's All Gonna Be Okay Kensington Huron Valley because I have other businesses who are like, hey, we love what you're doing. Can we give you $100 toward, 
towards your, your thing. And instead of me saying, Hey, when you come in and tell these five, you know, say these five people sent you. Now what we're doing is we're saying, come on in, tell them it's all going to be okay. You'll get $10 off your order. And, uh, and so what's cool about that is now it's super cool, <laughs> right? So yeah. So you have 20 people walking into your business going, Hey, it's all going to be okay. Like, so now we're spreading this positive message. So, so that's been my unique thing that I've done recently, but I think with that, I have also decided, and I was actually just talking to Terry this morning about this, is that um, if you are not a willing collaborative participant, you need to take your bat and your ball and go home. Because I just truly believe that in today's world, in order for us to truly find and create the success we want, we have got to connect, create relationships, and utilize each other as leverage to build and grow. And if you're trying to do it by yourself or you want me to chase you down to give you money and open up a tab, I, I'm not about to do that. So, you know, and, and trust me, that happens. So, um, so I really, you know, if I meet you, I like you, we build a relationship and you want to collaborate, I'm in. But, um, you know, but if you just want to, and as you and I both know a lot of these networking groups, it's just, you know, it's take, 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 you know, or... Uh, they, people don't really know how to engage on that on that scale. So, um, so relationships, collaboration, um, and just get out and know your community. Very good. Well, I think that brings us to my final question, which for you, I think is going to be really special. I can't wait to, to get your answer on this. It's, it's a question I ask all of my guests okay. is, what is your favorite thing about being a parent? Oh. Is, that, is there an answer to that question? <laughs> There's lots of answers to that question. That's why it's my favorite. And that's why I save it for the end because okay. it, it, the amount of, of answers that I've gotten over the last, you know, the course of, of, of having this show has been incredible. So, okay. okay. Well, I'm going to say my favorite thing about being a parent is, um, is that God created wine and, <laughs> that I'm really looking forward to when she has kids and I can be sitting and drinking a glass of wine and laughing at her and watching her kids run her around. So <laughs> it's the looking forward to. No, she's a, she's a great kid. I just tell you, my kid is only about 10% alien, where I think most teenagers are about 90%. And she's only about 10% alien. So I have to say that it is just watching her grow and, and watching her find what, what her passions are and watching her talents is, is pretty amazing. So <laughs> well, you, you have delivered on that question because no one has come that even close to that unique answer. Okay, looking forward. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to disappoint you. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, it's the future of being able to say, I told you. <laughs> Well, Paula, I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast, and I'm sure uh, we're going to have many more conversations to come, but I'm, I'm glad that you, we were finally able to connect and, and to share your incredible story, and, and I know that the audience is really going to take to it. Thank you so much, Paul. This has been an awesome time. I love talking to you and hope to chat with you again soon. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. 
And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Podcast.